This is uh, page Code Theory 2, Unit 15, Part 2, Toxodromes, Part 1. Yes. Oh, I'm sorry. Thanks. Toxodromes, Part 1. So um, we'll talk about uh, some of the garden variety toxodromes we see, um, including antidepressants, anticholinergics. If you're looking for a movie to watch this weekend, I would watch... Um, uh, what's that? There's <coughs> a movie with Will Smith where he overdoses on Benadryl, which is an anticholinergic. Hitch. Hitch. Yeah. How many of you have not seen Hitch? Okay. I, I wish I. <laughs> you wish you hadn't? Come on, it's a good movie. Come on, buddy, it's good. Watch Hitch. It's funny, especially the the Benadryl overdose. It's pretty funny. Uh, how many of you have seen Bringing Out the Dead with Nicolas Cage? One person. That's it. Nicholas, uh, Bringing Out the Dead with Nicholas Cage. It's about a burnt-out New York paramedic. It's yeah, it's worth a watch. I should give you guys a list of movies you need yeah. to watch. You know? I haven't seen that. It's funny. I haven't seen Mother Jugs and Speed other than short clips of it, which is like a classic EMS movie from the 60s or something. It's going to be at the back of what? Your joke book. My joke. No one would buy that joke book. We'll talk about uh, narcotics, sedative, hypno hypnotics, <coughs> stimulants, cardiovascular drugs, and others. So let's talk about antidepressant overdoses, some of the most common um, overdoses. So uh, most patients who, um, who are battling depression um, and medicated for it are taking cyclic depressants, which are a much, much safer drug than the tricyclics. And um, so we don't see a lot of fatalities associated with the cyclic antidepressants. And those are uh, sometimes referred to as bicyclic antidepressants, um, the new ones, like the selective serotonin reuptake inhibitors, SSRIs, or the serotonin um, receptor antagonists. Um, so these are drugs you should be familiar with because you encounter them a lot in the field. And once you start doing rideouts, uh, next semester, that's a good time to start looking at prescription meds and getting familiar with them. As I've said before, not a bad idea to uh, look at the prescription meds your family members are on, if they're willing to share that information, mom, dad, grandparents, and look up those drugs, see what kind of drugs they are, and uh, start to get familiar with those. Because I think you, you're more likely to remember those drugs because they have meaning for you, that, 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 you know, someone uh, close to you. Um, the tricyclic antidepressants, we, uh, I'll talk about those uh, in more detail later, but we sometimes see patients on TCAs uh, because they, um, they don't respond to the bicyclic antidepressants or they're on it for other reasons, which we'll talk about. So uh, common uses, uh, major depression. Um, uh, we sometimes see either the elderly or the very young on TCAs to uh, prevent bedwetting at night. And um, uh, also sometimes used to treat obsessive compulsive disorder, attention deficit, hyperreactivity disorder, uh, phobias, separation anxiety, especially in the pediatric population. So, um, so in other words, 
you will still encounter um, tricyclic overdoses. I, had, uh, I probably didn't tell you the story, but um, certainly when you do calls, that's, that's the best time to look at drugs and start to remember drugs because they tend to stick with you when, you when you do that, when they have meaning. Um, I had a call once for a guy who took an overdose of Flexeril for back pain. Um, it's also called cyclobenzaprine. And um, on the way to the call, we were literally half a block away, so we weren't, we, we weren't far away enough to, for me to look it up, and I knew it was for back pain. And my thought was, what could go wrong? It's for back pain, right? He'll just have a very relaxed back. <laughs> and my partner and I were actually joking about it. And we got to his apartment, and the police were there, and we met the police. We went up in the, the elevator together. Uh, no, it was, it was a two-story building. We went up the stairs to his apartment. And um, we got to his place, and uh, he was there with his wife, and he had just swallowed uh, an entire bottle of Flexeril. There were close to 30 pills. And he was drinking beer. Uh, but he was pretty lucid. He was, he was oriented. He was slurring his speech a little bit from the alcohol and he was depressed and his wife was upset and he said he, said he took these pills and blah, blah, blah. And then his uh, teenage son arrived home and freaked out because the police were there because he thought the police were there for him. Uh, and then the, the son started getting really annoying when he, when he realized the police weren't there for him. He said, you know, that stuff's like oxycodone. It's going to kill you, Dad. And I was annoyed with this kid, and I said, it's nothing like oxycodone. Just like, can you stand back? You know? Anyway, so uh, long story short, um, we stood him up, and we were going to walk him downstairs, but he was really unsteady on his feet. So my partner went downstairs, grabbed the stair chair. We put him in the stair chair took him down the stairs, load him in the back of the ambulance. We're in the back of the ambulance, uh, and he's just lying there like And I'm thinking, you know, he's just drunk. And uh, so I do a sternal rub, no response. And um, if you want to know someone is unconscious, apart from doing the drop test, which is considered assault and battery, um, what would you do? Well, you could brush their eyelid um, to see if they, they have a blink reflex, but there's another way too that's a little, like, um, you know, loss of blink reflex is a pretty late sign. There's something else you can do that's really easy. The guy's got snoring respirations, that's a hint. Yeah, jaw thrust. So if you're unconscious, like truly unconscious, your jaw will be completely flaccid. If you try to move even your own jaw forward, you'll find you'll get resistance. And it's very uncomfortable, right? Like you can barely move it. But when someone's truly unresponsive, the jaw is just flaccid and it'll like lift like a good inch. It's quite remarkable. And so that's what happened with him. I did a jaw thrust and thought, oh my God, like he's truly unresponsive. So I'll put an OPA in him. So I put an OPA in him, sure enough, not a flinch. Um, his breathing rate, his depth was good, his oxygen saturation was good. We were literally six blocks from the hospital. I thought, I don't think I'm going to intubate this guy. I think I'm just going to, you know, 
manage his airway, monitor his airway, and take him into the hospital. And there was nothing unusual about his hemodynamics or his blood pressure or his, or his uh, heart rate or anything like that. We took him to the hospital. In the ER, the doc intubated him. He ended up on a ventilator for a week. So I looked up the drug because that's the time to look it up. Um, if you want to be a good paramedic, you see something you encountered that surprises you or you've never seen it before, look it up then and there. Uh, my second year students, I keep pounding on them, um, not physically, but to get them to look things up because they'll tell me about cases they were on uh, where they encountered something and I said, well, what is that? And they don't know because they didn't look it up. And uh, it drives me nuts because um, if you don't look things up, you're, you're never going to get experience. You won't be a medic with 20 years experience, you'll be a medic with one year experience repeated 20 times. So look things up, be curious, right? So I looked things up, <coughs> I was curious, like Flexeril, what the hell? It turns out Flexeril is almost identical chemically to tricyclics. So this is the toxidrome he presented with, classic tricyclic overdose. I didn't notice it because I didn't do a 12 lead ECD on this guy, partly because there was no time during transport, but his QRS was widening, uh, he was, his heart rate was steadily increasing, which you get typically with tricyclics, and then the heart rate may start to slow down over time, but he was a classic tricyclic overdose, and I had no idea. But after that call, that was maybe 15 years ago, I will never ever forget Flexerol, which is also called cyclobenzaprine, right? If you do a call like that and you go, oh wow, that was cool, and then just go through the rest of your day without ever looking it up, the end of the day or right afterwards, you learn nothing. You gain nothing. So be curious. Um, TCAs are also used uh, for neuralgic pain, um, chronic pain, migraine, prophylaxis sometimes, sort of prevent migraines. And uh, TCAs are toxic for the following reasons. So uh, the four main pharmacological properties. So they, there's inhibition of norepinephrine and serotonin reuptake, which is um, good in the sense that it elevates the mood in depression. Um, so you get more free-floating norepinephrine and serotonin in the, uh, in the synaptic cleft. It has anticholinergic effects, actions. It has direct alpha-adrenergic blocking. So alpha receptors in the blood vessels, when they are blocked, you get vasodilation, so you get a drop in blood pressure. Uh, when they're stimulated with norepinephrine, you get vasoconstriction, but in this case, you get adrenergic alpha adrenergic blockade. Um, there's a membrane stabilizing effect on the myocardium by blocking the uh, fast sodium channels. So you get fast sodium channel blockade, which ultimate, ultimately results in bradycardia and hemodynamic instability when combined with the alpha blocking effects. And so um, uh, cardiovascular effects, um, decrease in the sodium influx through the fast sodium channels, that means there's a decrease in phase zero, which leads to QRS widening, impairs cardiac conduction system, decreases cardiac contractility, uh, can cause profound hypotension. Uh, at this point, when this guy lost consciousness, I set the monitor to take a blood pressure every five minutes, and his blood pressure stayed okay. Um, so mainly the hypotension is due to the alpha blocking effects and uh, the myocardial depressant effects. They get uh, initially tachycardia with palpitations, they get chest pain, 
Uh, they make an initial, initially hypertension followed by hypotension. And later signs include bradycardia, widening of the QRS, these are quite ominous. And in the 12 lead, um, we'll talk about this later, but there's a, uh, typically a little tiny R wave in AVR, but in this case with TCAs you see a, a significant R wave, positive R wave in AVR. And that's uh, one of those little pearls to find. In terms of uh, TCA's effect on the CNS, they can, um, it can cause convulsions, uh, decreased mental status, respiratory depression, drowsiness, coma. Notice I didn't say death, but death always follows eventually. Um, peripheral autonomic uh, system effects, so the anticholinergic effects can give um, these patients uh, dry mouth, dry skin, urinary retention, blurred vision. We'll talk about anticholinergics as a separate classification of toxidromes later. Um, physical findings usually consist with anticholinergic toxidromes, so tachycardia, hypotension, orthostasis, or orthostasis rather means um, orthostatic hypotension. So, um, you know, if they're laying down, you sit them up or stand them up, their heart rate increases, blood pressure decreases. Um, fever, not really fever, not like an infection type fever, but they get elevated temperature, uh, altered mental status, Annihilus, I mean, it's neither here nor there, but they get impairment in peristalsis. They may get uh, some muscle rigidity, uh, dry mouth, mucous membranes, mydriasis. Anyone know what mydriasis is? In contrast with meiosis. Mydriasis means dilated pupils. Meiosis, which is what we see in um, heroin overdoses, opioid overdoses, they get constricted pupils, pinpoint pupils. So they get mydriasis, so dilated pupils. And the management is uh, largely supportive. You're going to call for ACP backup, and the ACPs uh, may end up giving sodium bicarbonate. Um, call for ACPs. Uh, so if you're IV certified, you can uh, treat hypotension with a fluid bolus. ACPs might patch for an order for sodium bicarbonate for a known TCA overdose. Anticholinergics. So watch the movie Hitch with Will Smith. If you want to see what an anticholinergic overdose looks like, it's pretty funny. Um, it's even funnier because I've had patients with anticholinergic poisonings and uh, the behavior is not unlike Will Smith's in the movie. So this is um, inhibition of cholinergic neurotransmission at the muscarinic receptors in the autonomic and central nervous systems, um, predominantly postganglionic parasympathetic muscarinic receptors, so heart, salivary glands, sweat glands, GI tract, and GU. Um, and uh, you get some blockade of histamine 1 receptors. And when you block histamine receptors in the brain, you get drowsiness, altered mental status, right? That's why if you take Benadryl, um, you get drowsy. If you take Gravol, you get drowsy. That's inhibition of histamine receptors in the brain causes that. And um, so common sources for anticholinergics include uh, antihistamines, anti-motion sickness drugs, cold allergy and sleep medications. If you want to sleep at night, take an antihistamine. Um, anti-motility drugs, right, so um, antipsychotics uh, anti also uh, are a form of anticholinergics. Antispasmodics, and you'll see that in, you know, um, people born with cerebral palsy, for example, who have spasticity, and maybe on antispasmodics, or uh, Parkinson's disease patients may be on antispasmodics, uh, TCAs, of course. Uh, in certain plants like uh, magic mushroom, jimson weed, 
as an anticholinergic. Has anyone seen Jimson weed? Um, don't recommend you uh, experiment and try eating the seeds because uh, you could have, um, if you eat the seeds of Jimson weed, you could have a kind of a nice high and uh, some interesting hallucinations or uh, you could have a, a poisoning, like a significant toxicity. Um, so it's quite unpredictable that way. Um, uh, so maybe caused by intentional overdose or inadvertent ingestion or medical non-compliance or geriatric uh, polypharmacy. Uh, when it, that's what Jimson weed looks like. You see them on the side of the 400 sometimes, uh, or at least I've seen them on the side of the 400. I've seen them cycling in the Berry area. Um, so the toxidrome for anticholinergic poisonings, uh, the nicotinic um, toxidrome includes um, uh, red as a beet, so they tend to get very hot and flush, blind as a bat, so they get blurred vision, um, hot as a hair, so they're very warm to touch because um, they're in a hypermetabolic state, dry as a bone, dry mucous membranes, very thirsty, and mad as a hatter. So, uh, anyone know where that expression comes from, mad as a hatter? I think we might have talked about this before. So, in the, I think it was in the 1800s, early 1900s, they used to make hats with um, uh, a mercury-based product, and mercury is a neurotoxin. When you, when you get a mercury absorbed through the skin, it causes uh, significant alterations in uh, cognitive function and mental status. So they say Matt is a hatter. Um, central signs are progressive and include anxiety, agitation, lethargy, respiratory failure, seizures, coma, and death. So management for anticholinergic poisonings, if you know what you're dealing with, is largely supportive. SpO2, ECG, O2, PRN, PPV, PRN, uh, blood gas for any altered level of awareness, call for ACP backup. And um, the reason for ACPs for anticholinergics, they might treat seizures if they see seizures. And that's really it. All right, let's move on to stimulants. So sympathomimetics, in, uh, common sources include cocaine. Um, there's a lot of cocaine in Barry, a lot of cocaine where I worked in Halton region as well. Uh, we saw cocaine more than anything else. We only recently started to see uh, heroin overdoses uh, where I used to work, but uh, cocaine is very prevalent here. They, sometimes they call it the rich man's drug, but it's, um, uh, forgive the sexist term, but uh, it's, uh, it's not just the rich. Theophylline, um, we never, s I haven't seen Theophylline in years. Theophylline is a, is a bronchodilator that COPDers used to, used to take. And uh, there's some Theophylline-based drugs, but I haven't seen Theophylline in its pure form in a long time. Uh, but other stimulants include amphetamines, crystal meth, PCP, LSD, caffeine. And um, so when you hear the term sympathomimetic, it's really synonymous with hyperadrenergic. So um, hadrenergic being adrenergic receptors like uh, norepinephrine receptors and epinephrine receptors. And uh, so the patients who take sympathomimetics are typically in a hypermetabolic state. Fast heart rate, dilated pupils, high blood pressure. Um, they tend to be pyrexic, so really high temperatures. 
And with cocaine, I'll come to this in a second, but with cocaine, the thing that usually kills people who take too much cocaine is um, hyperthermia. So the most effective treatment for someone who's taken too much cocaine, if you can manage to handle their agitated state, is to cool them down. So ice packs under the armpits, under the neck and the groin, or uh, you know a sheet over top of them and irrigate with saline. If you get an intravenous line on them, resuscitate them with fluids. You might have to patch the base hospital doc to give them a decent amount of fluids because um, the IV solution will be at 17, 18 degrees, like room temperature, where their core temperature might be 42, 43, 45, right? So you'll cool them down fairly quickly if you can give them a liter, two liters of fluid. <laughs> And ACPs will give them sedatives, will give them midazolam. So um, cooling and sedation, those are the keys to keep them alive. But if you can cool them, you'll probably keep them from dying. And don't forget, when someone's taken too much cocaine, um, you're probably gonna get, that's when you're gonna get the 911 call. That's when they're, you know, uh, reaching, um, getting close to imminent death. And uh, the, the time when you're most likely to see uh, excited delirium is in the patient who's taking like cocaine or some other sort of uh, sympathomimetic. So um, you get cardiovascular metabolic toxicity from catecholamine excess. Um, they say that a recreational cocaine user, uh, so somebody who supposedly only does cocaine on weekends after five or six years will have the heart disease of a 75 year old. So it's not uncommon, not unheard of to get people uh, in their 20s who actually have myocardial infarctions um, or have angina, like chest pain consists with cardiac ischemia, who need nitro and ASA. Um, and uh, all because they've put so much workload on their heart <coughs> and they've, you know, developed um, hypertension early in life. So um, a rise in catecholamines can cause hypokalemia. So uh, with catecholamines, it drives potassium intracellularly, so it decreases this, the serum potassium levels. Uh, can also um, cause hyperglycemia, so uh, you should never be surprised to see uh, someone on cephalothymomimetics who's got a blood sugar of 13, 14. It doesn't mean they're like a diabetic ketoacidosis, because these are <coughs> typically non-diabetic patients, but they'll have a high blood sugar level. Uh, respiratory alkalosis can happen from direct stimulation of the respiratory center. Um, agitation secondary to cerebral excitation. They may be hyperreflexic, uh, so they may have muscle twitching, like jerking motions look really bizarre. Um, when, when they seize, uh, it's not uncommon for them to sustain brain injury. So think about a seizure. Remember that in a seizure, your, your brain's metabolic demands increase a hundredfold, or your brain's metabolic level, rather, increases a hundredfold. <coughs> and your brain uses uh, sugar without, without insulin. And um, uh, in a hypermetabolic state to begin with, a seizure can result in brain damage. So. You want to get that seizure under control. And if you're a PCP crew and you've got someone who's a suspected sympathomimetic overdose, um, your best bet for that seizure is, apart from you know supporting their head, protecting their airway, giving them 100% oxygen, is to cool them down. If you can cool them down, you might get that seizure under control. So uh, with uh, cocaine, for example, you get hyperthermia, seizures, you, they can get vasospastic angina. 
Um, and vasospastic angina will cause ST segment elevation, look just like an infarct. They get stroke, delirium, which is a confusional state, nausea, vomiting, palpitations, diaphoresis, paranoia, anxiety, panic. Um, typically, there's very intense high followed by a very intense low and death. So, um, so cocaine inhibits um, dopamine reuptake. So when you get accumulation of uh, dopamine in the, dopamine is kind of the, 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 uh, the reward neurotransmitter, if you will. They get a sense of euphoria, uh, euphoria when they've got uh, high dopamine levels in the synaptic cleft. And uh, cocaine will also cause sodium channel blockade. Now the, the antiarrhythmic, um, the, the antiarrhythmics that ACPs carry include uh, lidocaine, which is a sodium channel blocker. So lidocaine would be contraindicated in someone who's taking cocaine and is having arrhythmias. Uh, and they also carry amiodarone. And amiodarone um, uh, does several different things, including sodium channel blockade. So it would be contraindicated as well. Definitely not recommended with cocaine. So the treatment for uh, dysrhythmias in someone who's taking cocaine is actually sodium bicarbonate to uh, increase the, uh, the sodium level, counteract that sodium channel blockade. So 1.2 grams is considered fatal. Finding out for a patient just exactly how much cocaine they took is going to be a little tricky. Um, one, people always bullshit. Um, two, uh, so, you know, if, if, um, if a guy tells you he's had four beers, he's had eight. If a woman tells you she's had four beers, she's had 16. That's a general rule, believe it or not. Women are bigger bullshitters than men when it comes to alcohol consumption. That's, that's what I'm told by uh, physicians who work in the ER. Um, and uh, getting a dosage of a drug from someone, an illicit drug, they may not even know how much they took. That's the thing. So uh, combining alcohol with, uh, with cocaine um, uh, increases the risk of sudden death 20-fold. And uh, I've never met anyone who's consumed cocaine without alcohol. So they go hand in hand. <laughs> met one yet. So this is a 34-year-old who had an anterior wall MI. Now this is interesting. So um, we haven't covered 12 lead ECGs yet. But the first thing that should stand out to you uh, with this dysrhythmia is uh, the heart rate, right? So here's um, the QRS that falls in a dark line. And that's not a good one because the next one's a PVC. But um, if you look at the distance between these two, oops, between these two, that's a rate of about 150. So resting heart rate of 150 is quite high. Now, if you look at um, these leads, lead one, there's the baseline, and there's the ST segment, it's above the baseline. Um, V2, there's the baseline, there's the ST segment. V3, baseline's here, ST segment here. And ST segment elevation is a indicative of um, cell injury. And um, so this tells you, tells you that the patient's having an anterior septal wall MI or anterior MI. Now, I can tell you um, just from my own experience that um, if I called the cardiac interventionalist and said, 
Uh, I've got a 34-year-old male who's been doing cocaine tonight, um, and he's got uh, ST segment elevation in his anterior septal leads, um, and he's got a heart rate of 150, blah, 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 blah. The doc is, the cardiac intervention is likely to say to me, take him to the local hospital and uh, have them assess his troponin levels and reassess them after they get the heart rate under control. Um, and the reason they do that, the, we, the reason the cardiac intervention is likely to do that is twofold. Number one, um, you can get Prince Metal's angina with uh, cocaine, so vasospastic angina. And when you get coronary vasospasm, it's not a STEMI, it's not an ST segment elevation in my. When you get vasospasm, you can get injury pattern. It's like this, the heart can become sufficiently ischemic that the ST segments rise above the baseline. And um, the treatment for that is just cool the guy down in sedation. Uh, and the other reason is that given his heart rate of 150, that may be a contributor to his cardiac ischemia, and that may be contributing to the ST segment elevation. So though the interventionists likely want that patient in the peripheral hospital to be managed first uh, to see if he's truly having an MI. On the flip side, the interventionist might say, yeah, bring him down here, Let's just be sure. So it could go either way. It's just the nature of emergency medicine. I had a guy once who, uh, he had a gastrointestinal bleed. Uh, we found him, he'd just come off the toilet, uh, he didn't flush the toilet, took a look at the toilet, and the toilet was bright, bright, bright red blood. He was pale, he was diaphoretic, he had low blood pressure. Um, he had ST segment elevation but it wasn't from an infarct, it was from hypovolemia. He was just a guy with advanced coronary artery disease and after leaving, leaving so much blood, um, his heart was ischemic to the point where he was, we were seeing injury pattern. So it, it was a case of he had a very low supply uh, to, to be able to meet the heart's metabolic demands. Right? So uh, when he, we called the cardiac interventionist, the interventionist said, um, take him into the local hospital, they can call me back after they flew or resuscitated him. So I called knew, knowing full well, we were probably, he was probably gonna say no, uh, take him to the closest hospital, but I had to cover my butt, right? So you will be doing the same thing if you're working for a service where you have the luxury of contacting the cardiac interventionist. That's uh, uh, something you would have to do. Rob, can I ask you a question about these? Yeah, well it's a little tough given the, how fast the heart rate is. So basically look at, um, right at the start of the QRS, that's usually where you can see the baseline. Right? And then the SD segments here. So it may be slightly above that, um, but it's hard to tell because there isn't enough of a gap between the T wave and the, and the QRS to judge for sure. Um, it'll become clearer with other ECGs. No question about it. So that's what uh, cocaine looks like. If you want to know about illicit drugs, um, do a Google search. Just be sh just be careful on what uh, sites you click on. Um, there are lots of really good sites, um, and there's one in particular I can't remember the name of it, but this is a guy. A guy who was a former drug addict who um, collects information about all these street drugs and how they affect people and it's based on his personal experience and based on interviewing other drug addicts and it's really quite informative incredibly valuable for police and paramedics 
really quite good. So there are lots of good stuff. I just be careful about which sites you pop on. Just what I do is I look, I don't know about you, but uh, what do you look at when you look at websites to see if they're sketchy or not? Before, like, before you click on it, what do you look, what do you look for? Well, the name, yeah. What I do is I look at the URL. If I see .edu in there somewhere, then I know, like if it says, um, I don't know, University of Nebraska, drug, blah, 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 blah. Well, I look for .edu somewhere in that, in that website name. Otherwise, it might be just a fake University of Nebraska <laughs> website or something. But uh, so I look, I look at the name, and the name helps. Um, so uh, for sympathomimetics, cooling is important. Um, the usual um, blood sugars, etc. 12 DCGs, uh, call for ACP backup, and um, fluids and sedation, that's what they need. So the reason you need ACPs is for benzodiazepines and possibly sodium bicarbonate. Uh, and that's it for that one. Any questions? No. no?